0: The following program contains adult
1: content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me,
0: hey, you're going to die and go to hell.
1: I'm going to stop my Stand for 911. We're for emergency? Oh, this is Andy. You're pretty one look. look. the road the oh, problem? Senator, please! Senator, And he goes, don't be a hero, mate. And I said, I'm not trying to be a hero, but the police are coming. One in the chest, one in the hip. Fired by Detective
0: Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. I would have nailed Carl Williams to a committal. and just of his, his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little a cherub face, cherub face little boy who, who,
1: who, who whose who's life would be. I harm someone, it
0: does me. someone, to would be an enormous amount, of, uh, of, especially at first. An enormous amount of, of, of horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then
1: that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And
0: I'm Tara Saravan.
1: And we do Bloody Murder.
0: We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia.
1: And indeed around the globe.
0: What will you be talking about this week, Barney?
1: I'm going to talk about Rory Jack Thompson, famous in Tasmania where everyone there has an opinion on him. In his autobiography titled Mad Scientist, he tells us his life story, but I'm not sure I believe a word of it. The facts are, in 1983, after strangling his wife, he cut her up into 91 pieces and flushed her down the toilet. But is there more to his story?
0: I feel like there's a lot to unpack there already, Barney.
1: Well, yeah. How about you, Blanche (laughs) Dubois?
0: Excuse me? I always rely on the kindness of dog fat shamers. Pennsylvania pastor A.B. Shermer's wives had an unfortunate habit of dying suddenly in rather ridiculous circumstances. Really? Mm. Now, due to his stature, nobody thought to be suspicious of their deaths. That is until the suicide of his mistress's husband caused everything to come undone for the sinister minister. Ooh. Oh, it's complicated.
1: Is it? Yeah. Now, before we commence our sordid tales, we'd like to do a little bit of listener feedback. Would you like to start us off on that one, Tara?
0: Jeanette Marie Price posted this gem. You'll grow up not ever really knowing if you deserve love, but one day you'll meet someone who loves you and be able to accept yourself. Then once they really get to know you, they'll find you unbearable and leave. But the important thing is to stay hydrated.
1: Well, there is plenty of water and beer.
0: There's plenty of water in water if you try drinking it on no occasion. No beer. <laughs> I just don't really know how, you, how you're how you alive. Is your wee brown? I mean, you, he doesn't drink water at all, people. Like, not ever. Hey, baby, my wee's golden. <laughs> okay. Would you care for a brown shower with Barney Black?
1: <laughs> no, that No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want that.
0: And you're him.
1: <laughs> Marie Hinky confessed something. Being an adult is the dumbest thing I've ever done.
0: Yeah, I feel you, Marie. (laughs) Yeah, I've
1: done some pretty dumb stuff, but being an adult is pretty much tops Mm, that.
0: Takes the cake. Melissa Zask shared a post from Josh Sardelic that is an aussie as in itself. Um, So I'm going to get you to do this one with me, Barney, because it's quite long. Okay. All right, I'll start it off. Be Australian. Alarm goes off at 6.30am. Still wearing high-vis from yesterday. Three different Prime Ministers have come and gone overnight. Fourth one is about to be sworn in.
1: Make brekkie. Bite into strawberry. Copper a sewing needle through the roof of the mouth. Can't feel it because still pissed from the 15 cans of emu export last night. Drive
0: to site. Fooeys are playing on Triple M. Fucking grouse. Bite into a meat pie at lunch. Full of sewing needles and redback spiders. Drop pie and make Apprentice pick it up.
1: Knock off at two. Straight to the bottle Block of bushchook and a pouch of white ox. Open pouch to roll of smoke, full of sewing needles and blue ringed octopuses. <laughs> Get stung and stabbed multiple times. She'll be right, mate.
0: Crack a tinny. Turn on the telly. Another leadership spill means a fifth prime minister is being sworn in. Fifth prime minister is actually a sewing needle.
1: New South Wales government has just banned nightclubs, festivals, alcohol, cars, walking, sneezing, and the concept of joy. <laughs> Absolute bloody outrage, this is. Walk back into kitchen and open fridge. Full of sewing needles and a great white shark. Get eaten. It's me RDR tomorrow, so she'll be right.
0: Oh, she'll be right, mate. Rub some dirt in it.
1: <laughs> Rub some dirt in it. Perfect.
0: Yeah, that was wonderful. Now, of course, this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons.
1: We have some new ones this week, Tara. So, welcome to Brianna Grant and Tam White. Yeah, they both wrote some lovely emails to us and uh, thank you for your kind words.
0: Yes, thank you very much.
1: And for your patronage, of course.
0: If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. Don't search on Patreon because we're not there.
1: Patrons have access to over 20 other episodes, early access to some of our regular episodes and all levels receive free stickers and handmade Barney badges. All right. I think it might be time for you to get murdery, Tara.
0: Oh, I'm ready. Arthur Burton Shermer liked to be known as A.B. because he wasn't just a pastor, he was a cool pastor.
1: Oh, clappy, clappy. Oh, yeah. Singy, singy.
0: That's the one. In 1968, ordained Methodist minister A.B. married his first wife, Jewel. The two met when they were both fresh out of their teens and students at Messiah College in southeast central Pennsylvania. Now, because it's a rule. Rule? That's rule two. Because it's actually a rule that cool pastors have to play guitar, A, B, and Jewel sang duets at local churches and camp meetings. After they had kids, their son and two daughters joined in, and they named the gospel group The Singing Shermer Family. They made outfits out of curtains, yodeled about goat herds, and seemed like a wholesome Ned Flanders wet dream. (laughs) Awesome. In 1978, AB and The Singing Shermer Family moved to Lebanon. Lebanon? Lebanon? In Pennsylvania.
1: Ah, yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah,
0: it's a town.
1: <laughs> right. um, they, were they moved to Syria?
0: <laughs> yeah, they, they moved there next. Um, that's where he'd been named pastor of the Bethany United Methodist Church. Over 20 years later, on April 24, 1999, AB called for an ambulance at 2.15pm to report that when he returned home after a jog, he found his wife, Jewel, lying unconscious at the foot of the basement stairs. Ooh. She had a cord from a vacuum cleaner wrapped around her leg. He said that she'd fallen while vacuuming the stairs, which is yet another reason not to do it.
1: Well, yeah, I remember once you vacuumed my stairs when I, when I was ill.
0: Yes, this is not a euphemism. I literally vacuumed your stairs at one point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I remember correctly, that was probably the last nice thing I ever did for you. That was
1: in 2011. Yeah. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah, sound about right. Yeah, sounded yeah. about right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm you. proud of that. Fuck
0: you. Hey, I'm the one who vacuumed your stairs. I don't recall you vacuuming well, my stairs. they're a little
1: bit grubby now.
0: Yeah, vacuum them with your face. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Jewel actually died the next day in hospital. Oh, sorry. That's, yeah. That's bad. Yeah. The forensic pathologist who performed her autopsy said that Jewel had suffered a fractured skull and had numerous bruises on her upper body. The coroner's office reported that Jewel had died from a traumatic brain injury and ruled her manner of death as undetermined because her injuries seemed too severe to have been caused by a fall down a flight of steps. Because his wife's death was not ruled a homicide, though, there wasn't a police investigation and no criminal charges were filed against the minister.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: In 2001, the year that he became the pastor of the United Methodist Church in Reeders, Pennsylvania, A.B. Shermer married his second wife, 49-year-old music teacher Betty Jean Scherzer. Schertzer?
1: What, what? Scherzer. What's his surname?
0: Shermer. She should have half ate it. She should have gone, Betty Jean Scherzer Schirmer.
1: Scherzer Schirmer. I like it. Yeah. Mm.
0: Late at night on July 15, 2008, commuters driving along State Route 715, a two lane highway near Reeders, saw a PT cruiser sitting on the side of the road next to a guardrail. Betty Schirmer was sitting in the front passenger's seat, which was soaked in blood. She was unconscious and bleeding from the head. Witnesses noticed severe bruising on the right side of her face. The car only had superficial damage and the pastor was entirely uninjured.
1: Well, this seems a little suspicious.
0: Although he had a mobile phone on him, he hadn't called 911. So one of the motorists did so. Betty Jean Shermer died in hospital the next day of sustained multiple skull and facial fractures and brain injury. At the pastor's request, his second wife's body was cremated before it could be autopsied, even though Betty was adamantly against cremation. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing to see here. Everything's Mm. fine. Hmm. The pastor told the investigating officer that he'd been driving his wife to the hospital after she complained of an intense pain in her jaw. He said while travelling 55 miles per hour, he lost control of the car after oversteering to avoid hitting a deer. He claimed the car swerved back and forth across the road before slamming into the guardrail. Although Betty's head injuries seemed completely out of proportion compared to the damage to the car... The authorities did not investigate the 56-year-old woman's death as a possible homicide. It seemed once more, God Boy A.B. was golden. A.B. told authorities that Betty wasn't wearing her seatbelt at the time, which her sisters called bullshit on as she always wore it. He also couldn't keep his story straight about why he said she wasn't wearing it. He told some people that she took it off to get comfortable, because, you know, that's a thing. He told other people... Alright, you gotta you gotta hear you gotta listen to this one. Alright, gotta I'm You gotta listen to this. This is amazing. He told other people that she liked to play a game where she would take her seatbelt off while the car was in motion and count how many seconds it took for the seatbelt warning beep to start. You know, the kind of hijinks all fifty-six year old women with intense jaw pain get up to on the way to hospital.
1: Would it change, though? No.
0: I think you'd get one second and then it would
1: start Well, oh, being... Maybe four seconds, maybe. I May... think it would be a consistent amount yes. of time. It would not change. No. They don't randomise that no, number?
0: No, they don't. Also, you're in enough pain to need to go to hospital and you're going to play a fun little seatbelt oh, game. Oh,
1: fuck, my jaw hurts. Let's play a game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take my seatbelt off and yeah. I'll count. Yeah, one, Oh, one God, thousand. that hurt my jaw.
0: Two, 1,000. A.B. chose the urn that Betty's ashes were placed in. Oh, that's nice. He picked one that had a picture of a deer on it. Oh, well, that's
1: not nice.
0: And he actually remarked to others, Oh, look, a deer isn't that funny. No. And yet no one suspected anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One of the patrolmen, Officer Gupko, took photos of the scene. Months later, these photos and the evidence they showed would form the basis of an investigation.
1: Officer Gupko?
0: Officer Gupko. Oh, right. I know. I want to marry him and then I can be Tara Gupko.
1: (laughs) Tara Sarabin Gupko. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I like it.
0: The singing Gupkos. That's what our family will be called. On October 29th, 2008, the secretary at the Readers United Church made a horrifying discovery when they arrived for work. Slumped over the pastor's desk in his office was the body of parishioner Joe Massante. He was dead from what appeared to be a self inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Joe was a carpenter, like Jesus, and he was a pretty damn good one. He'd even made the desk in AB's office where his body was found. Now, he'd been battling alcoholism for most of his adult life and found comfort in the church, using his carpentry skills to help repair the building. Joe and his wife of 16 years, Cindy, had two children together. Cindy also happened to be AB's personal assistant.
1: So he's killed himself on the desk of this pastor Mm -hmm. and his wife was a personal assistant of this pastor. There's got to be something going on here. Yes. That's a statement, isn't
0: it? Yo. Tell me more. There's always something going on here. Investigators looking into the case were very interested in learning why this active member of the congregation had taken his own life in the pastor's office.
1: Well, I'm interested too.
0: Yeah. You should be. It's interesting. While pursuing that lead, investigators discovered that AB was having a dirty little affair with Joe's wife, Cindy. No. No. Mm hmm.
1: Outrage.
0: The tongues must have been wagging in the pews. La, 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 la. Did you
1: hear about that thing? La, la, la,
0: la, la. Weeks before Joe's death, he'd discovered that his wife Cindy was shagging their trusted pastor. His 16 year old daughter Samantha had found lots of inappropriate texts from the pastor on her mother's phone. That's
1: awful. Yeah,
0: things like telling her how how pretty she looked that day and how he couldn't wait to see her again. Not your usual pastor stuff. No. Yeah, so poor Samantha felt incredibly betrayed by her mother, who up until that point she'd considered to be her best friend.
1: Oh. oh, no. Well,
0: Joe was devastated. He confronted Cindy and she said that she'd end the affair. But shortly after her promise, he discovered that she was making secret phone calls to her preachy lover. Ah, that's kind of like the Phil Collins song, hey?
1: He's a preachy lover.
0: He'll kill his wives, but you won't see it. Yeah, that one. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Phil Collins, he was so wise. He was. A.B. resigned from the church around two weeks after the suicide and joined a three-person evangelical singing group called Berowin. They were known for their inspirational songs, I'm Banging Your Wife, Make Me More Desks, You Cuckolded Chump, and Another Wife Bites the Dust. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I don't think he was. I, 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 yeah, I'm pretty I, sure. I, I find that hard to believe. I'm but pretty, yeah, pretty no, no. sure these Keep were going. the
0: songs. Keep going. It's fine. When Rose Cobb learned of her brother Joe's death, she couldn't believe it and she had a lot of questions. When she went to readers for her brother's memorial service, Joe's wife Cindy giddily told her how in love she was with cool Pastor AB. Rose was like, the fuck? Were you cheating on my brother? Cindy lied and said it was a pure, non-physical love of the heart, but she like, couldn't stop banging on about how much she loved the pastor at her husband's funeral.
1: Uh, that's not classy behaviour, is it? It
0: really isn't, Cindy. It really isn't. You should take a long, hard look at yourself, Cindy. You should reconsider some of your life choices.
1: Mm. Does she?
0: You'll have to wait and see. Okay. Rose also learned that AB was a widower who had recently lost his wife Betty in an accident and that his first wife had died suddenly too. Oh, finally, someone's paying attention. Thank oh. you, Rose. You couldn't get into this story early enough for my liking.
1: Yeah, someone's joining the dots.
0: Yeah, she said, It struck me as funny that so many bad things were happening to him.
1: Funny ha-ha or funny peculiar? I
0: think both.
1: <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't think she burst out laughing about it. I think mostly mostly peculiar. I'm going to go with that. Well,
0: then why did you ask?
1: (laughs) Someone needs to ask these questions.
0: No, they don't, Barney. They don't. Still grieving her brother's death and plagued with rumours about AB's past, Rose insisted that the proper authorities investigate all the mysterious deaths taking place around AB. Detective Jim Wagner of the Pocono Township Police Department noticed a lot of odd things in the photographs from Betty Shermer's car crash. He
1: thought it was a bit funny too.
0: Oh, yeah, and then he was like, is that a deer on the urn? (laughs) That's so funny, man.
1: Funny like a clown or funny like a man slipping on a banana peel and then onto a vacuum cleaner and then falling down some stairs.
0: Both of those things are just frightening.
1: Yeah, they're not funny at all. No. They're peculiar.
0: (laughs) They are indeed. Oh, I don't like that image. Oh, hang on, I just changed the image of my head to the clown slipping and falling, and now it's funny. Ah. Uh. He was puzzled by the devastating injuries to Betty's head compared to the complete lack of injury to AB and the blood, lots and lots of blood, all over Betty and the passenger area of the car, but nowhere else. According to Detective Wagner, the story that AB had been driving around 55 miles per hour at the time he swerved to avoid the deer didn't make any... Any sense? There were no marks to indicate swerving or braking on the road, and the car's airbags hadn't even deployed. There was actually um, some change, like um, in little towers, sort of.
1: That stacks some, stacked coins. some coins, and yeah. they
0: hadn't even been unstacked by this a supposed right. fatal crash. They were still, like you know, in rows. It's so ridiculous Um, The car was actually still drivable after the crash And if A.B. had given a rat's ass about his wife's life He would have just driven her to the hospital himself Not just sat there, not calling 911 Which is what he actually did Ooh As Wagner investigated the photos from the crash, he also saw that the blood on Betty's seat had a diluted or an absorbed look to it, as if she'd been sitting in that blood for some length of time, he said.
1: So it soaked into the car seat.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was under her, which would be hard to do when you just, if it was a head wound that you'd just acquired, why would you be sitting on the blood of that?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: I mean, just come on. So
1: she'd obviously been placed in the car and then he's gone and crashed into the thing.
0: Because there was so much absorbed blood on the seat, Detective Wagner believed that Betty was bleeding before she got in the car, as oh, you yeah. were saying. yes, The blood evidence did not indicate that the fluids were the result of the crash. The fact that the pastor was having an affair at the time of the so-called fatal traffic accident added what had been missing until now, a motive for Betty's murder.
1: Oh, what was it?
0: He just didn't like Mondays, Barney. Or
1: well, who does?
0: <laughs> not Garfield.
1: No, but he loves lasagna. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That
0: went nowhere fast, didn't <laughs> it? It's really... and, and
1: Spider-Man. Sp- Sp- Andrew Garfield loves Spider-Man.
0: He does. And lasagna. Yeah, Doesn't like Mondays, though. Nah, they're mm. No, they're shit.
1: Mondays are shit. All right, the last piece <clears throat> of the puzzle is about to fall into place.
0: The investigation into Betty Shermer's death was officially reopened and the Monroe County District Attorney's Office started building a case against AB. Fucking finally. Sweet. To add insult to injury for Samantha, after her father Joe's suicide, Cindy continued to see AB. So her mum's still banging the pasta. Yeah. Eventually, AB moved into the house that Joseph had built. Oh, no. Yeah. Samantha found it completely unbearable. The second she turned 18, like on her 18th birthday in the morning, she moved out of the house.
1: Oh, good on you, Samantha.
0: Yeah, she's not having any of this. Yeah. When she found out that her mother and AB had gotten engaged, she too called the police. Although estranged from her mother, she still worried that he would be his next victim. He does like killing his wives. Yeah. Would you get, inv- would you get engaged to a guy who likes killing his wives? Like, that just doesn't seem wise. No. That sounded like a Dr. Zeus book.
1: <laughs>
0: a dark <laughs> you, one. You often do. Yeah, yeah, I know. Investigators obtained a warrant to search the parsonage where AB and Betty had lived at the time of her death. Detective Wagner noticed what looked like drops of blood on the floor of the garage. When investigators applied luminol to the garage floor, it lit up a path. See, during surveillance of AB, investigators noticed that he always pulled his car into the garage the exact same way. They made a diagram of where the blood stains would be compared to the car. The blood path lined up to the passenger's side door of the car and the blood that led to the car stopped at the car. So, as in, she, she'd been, he'd attacked her in the garage, hit her about the head with a blunt object and then, like, carried her into the
1: car, bleeding. That's pretty damning, isn't
0: it? <laughs> it's uh, one of the most damning things I've ever heard. AB initially denied there was any blood. No, there isn't. I don't. Worked for me before. He then made up a story about Betty cutting herself when moving a pile of firewood. Officers searched for a wood pile in the yard to corroborate AB's story, and they did find one, but they found a newspaper at the base of the wood pile that was dated September 21st, 2008. Now, this was two months after Betty's death. Uh. So to investigators, this finally confirmed that it would have been impossible for Betty to have cut herself moving the woodpile and that A.B. Shermer was lying. Liar, liar, a pants on fire. To help their case, the police consulted an expert in traffic accident investigation. According to this expert, the damage to A.B.'s PT cruiser suggested that when he hit the guardrail, he was only travelling at 25 miles an hour...
1: Well, that's not 55, like he said, is it?
0: No. uh, In fact, it's a speed that could not have resulted in Betty Shermer's severe head trauma and brain damage. Not even possible.
1: But it does explain why only the headlight was damaged and... um,
0: Yeah, this is just ridiculous.
1: And the airbags didn't deploy.
0: And the car was drivable. Yeah. Uh, When you see pictures of the car, you're just like, how would anyone believe that this caused the death? In July 2010, the county coroner ruled Betty Shermer's manner of death a homicide. Hooray! This opened the door to a criminal prosecution. On September 13, 2010, AB was taken into custody. He was charged with the murder of his second wife, Betty, and with tampering of homicide evidence. Authorities in Lebanon County were also putting together a case against AB for the murder of his first wife, Jewel. Ah, oh. oh, it's all closing in on you now, isn't it, sinister minister? Sinister minister is actually what the prosecution kept referring to him
1: as.
0: (laughs) I admire it. That's very apt. Yeah, he is a sinister minister. Of course, AB denied hurting either woman and his adult children supported him, as did his fiancée Cindy, the Queen of Denial. The medical examiner who looked at both cases compared the wounds that Betty and Jules Shermer died from and it was his opinion that they died of pretty much exactly the same injuries, saying, it's déjà vu all over again. A.B. Shermer went to trial for Betty's murder in January 2013. The evidence was circumstantial, but it was of a high quality and it fit together very well. A.B. took the stand in his own defence because of course he did. Despite his experience as a convincing public speaker, the prosecution actually said that AB was one of their best witnesses.
1: <laughs> oh, that's funny.
0: Yeah, he didn't come across as very likable or believable. He probably told that story about how she liked to take her seatbelt off. Betty did, you know, just, oh. just count
1: how many seconds it would take for the thing to sell people. Oh, remember my second wife? We used to play this
0: game. Yeah, and- <laughs> it was oh. so fun. Oh, yeah. So fun. The jury deliberated for only 90 minutes. Basically, they had lunch and then played a game of you know and came back uh, before convicting AB of first-degree murder after prosecutors maintained that he struck Betty on the head with a crowbar or something similar several times, loaded her into the car and claimed she was killed after driving his car into the guardrail at two miles an hour. (laughs) When Betty's family addressed the court, her sister said, "'AB, we invited you into our home. "'You ate at our table.' We didn't have a clue of the person you really are. I just wish you'd divorced Betts instead of taking away a daughter, a sister, a mother and grandmother. You're an evil sick man, I hope you suffer. Betty's sister Tina, called AB, a monster, a poor excuse for a human being and a sociopath, saying he lied about having sex with other women before and after Betty's death. Yeah, he liked to bang women that he was like counseling, in his job as a pastor, yeah, oh, that's Cause, very,
1: that's gross. Because
0: that's hot. You know what? You know what really turns me on? Uh, taking advantage of people and betraying trust, like,
1: woo. yeah, especially when they're very vulnerable.
0: Oh yeah, it's
1: awful. Oh,
0: that's. Ab was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. His later appeal was denied. On September 17, 2010, the Monroe County Prosecutor convened a grand jury to look into the death of AB's first wife, Jules Shermer. Dr Ross, the forensic pathologist, studied photographs and other materials concerning the 1999 death in the Lebanon UMC parsonage. Dr Ross testified that the cuts to Jules' face were highly suspicious and could have been caused by an object striking her head. There were 14 separate impact injuries to her head and face as well as numerous abrasions and contusions throughout her upper body and arms.
1: Well, how many steps was there? that She could be bouncing down the stairs.
0: On her fucking head.
1: No, yeah, that's like,
0: break, It was a breakdancing accident and yeah, the whole vacuum cleaner yeah, just got in the way That's
1: actually, now that I think she of was it, that does sound cartoonish She
0: was on her head down the stairs when she tripped over a vacuum cleaner cord Yeah,
1: electric boogaloo death That's it Quite common
0: mm-hmm. According to Dr Ross, one of the bruises um, that she had was in the shape of a handprint
1: <laughs> Wow, that's pretty damning isn't oh, it?
0: Last time I fell down a set of stairs, I was covered in handprints
1: Wait, really? No. Oh.
0: Come on. Jump. In the reinvestigation of the case, medical experts said her heart damage was due to the brain trauma that she suffered rather than um, it being the cause of her falling down the stairs, as they originally thought. 66 year old A.B. Shermer pled no contest to third degree murder charges for the 1999 murder of Jules Shermer. He was sentenced to 20 to 40 years. This will run consecutively to the life sentence that he's already serving.
1: Well, there must have been some pretty damning evidence there for him to take a deal like that. Oh, yeah.
0: Uh. (laughs) Heaps. (laughs) Fucking heaps. Despite the tsunami of damning evidence, AB's children and Cindy still believe in his innocence. They're so deep in denial together that Cindy has become a part of their family. As for Cindy's actual daughter, Samantha... She is now effectively an orphan and has no relationship whatsoever with her mother anymore, but you couldn 't could you
1: no you couldn 't i 'm glad that Samantha bought all that evidence and and um, yeah
0: uh, well um, it was so it was rose, so it was joe 's sister uh, who actually sort of brought it to the attention of the police but then after samantha 's mum Cindy got engaged to a b she also contacted the cops and went. Here's some more stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. I just don't understand how she could be so deep in denial that she's, she's willing to believe it. Maybe it's just better than the alternative in her mind, well, which is that, you know, she kind of put her husband in a situation that encouraged his suicide for some guy who murders his wives, mm. at least if it happened because she's in love with a boat, no, It's del- more worth it.
1: She's deluded.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm really mad at her.
1: Yeah, me too (laughs) But I
0: mean, he's the worst, obviously And I'm so glad they finally got him It was like he was just allowed to roam around Singing shit songs and killing wives Mm. Crazy
1: It sure is
0: All right, Bonnie Bloke
1: What time is it? It's True Crime Nerd time Hooray True Crime Nerd time True Crime Nerd time True Crime I love true, crime. true Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV, series, documentary, graphic novel or tea towel or just about <laughs> anything that has scratched your true crime itch. Is your true crime itch itchy, Tara?
0: <laughs> that would have to be, <laughs> wouldn't it? Can,
1: it would. You can record your voice, just do it on your phone, we'll play it or write it and we'll read it out. And I have one here from Dustin McIntosh from Bristol. And Dustin writes, Hi Barney and Tara, this is not exactly true crime, but I know this television series will appeal to those who dig true crime. Ooh. It's called Dark Tourist, and it's hosted by David Farrier, a New Zealand television reporter who made the awesome catfishing documentary Tickled.
0: Oh, Tickled is so good. Oh, you have to see Tickled. Oh, you have to watch Tickled. It is... Uh, Catfishing, all kinds of cool shit. Crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Love it.
1: All of us would ask who would want to spend their hard-earned money exploring some of the most depraved sites around the world. It turns out lots of people. Netflix's latest docu-series, Dark Tourist, examines this phenomenon, questioning why we're drawn to dark destinations like murder sites while taking a hard look at the men and women who profit from them. It feels insincere to call Dark Tourist a travel show because it's not exactly about tourism. Rather, it's something between a reality show and a documentary that holds a magnifying glass up to the men and women profiting from tragic moments in human history while also scrutinising the tourists who seek out these attractions.
0: It doesn't, like, go in too hard, though. Like, I found it really entertaining.
1: It's a show about the world's weirdness told through our perverse obsession with said weirdness. (laughs) Each roughly 45 minute episode focuses on a different area from around the world and explores three different dark attractions from that area. In the process of exploring these exhibits, David Farrier interviews the tour creators, their guides, the tourists themselves, the locals and everyone in between on his quest to understand why. Why are people drawn to these places and what does it say about us?
0: Oh, well, we're just fucked up. Well, Cunts, we're fucked. Really, aren't we?
1: <laughs> if, yeah. you, if you can think of it. I have the answer then. to that. Yeah. Dark Tourist explores in details the same dark impulses that prompt people to binge documentaries about murder and read graphic books about cults and other crimes. It may make you uncomfortable, but it will also force you to question why you're into so many messed up things.
0: Well, it didn't make me question that no, at no, all. No, no, it's because it's we're solidified fucked. solidified it, Yeah. It's because I'm a cunt.
1: Well, thank you, Dustin McIntosh from Bristol.
0: Yes. Thank you, indeed.
1: Thank you, indeed. Hey,
0: it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's
1: quince.com slash upgrade. Bonnie. Yes, Tara.
0: I believe it's time you got murdery.
1: Well, Tara, this one was suggested by Joy Emilia.
0: Hey, Joy.
1: Thanks, Joy. Rory Jack Thompson was born in 1942 in San Diego, California. His father was American and his mother a Canadian. Dogs and cats living together.
0: Isn't that illegal?
1: I think it is. Saying Rory's father was cold and distant to him was an understatement. As Tom White says, he was colder than a well digger's ass. And as I say, he was so distant you would need binoculars to see if he was wearing a dog as a hat. (laughs) Did he? Did
0: he wear dogs' hats?
1: Well, his dog was too fat. (laughs) Maybe this contributed to his mother being an alcoholic and to why she would eventually try and kill herself. Although he was academically gifted, Rory struggled at school. The husky boy was socially awkward and had no friends. It was his abrasive and blunt nature that made other children dislike him. He also gave his teachers the shits, and they wanted nothing to do with him either. When his parents eventually split up, he was shunted from place to place, staying on couches with family friends or with his mother or father. This fractured home life at the point of puberty did not help Rory. He already had hair growing in strange places and zits on his face. It also did not combine well with his trouble socialising. No one liked his quick and often corrosive intelligence. Everyone hates a smart ass.
0: Yeah, that's pretty true.
1: But things were about to turn around for smarty pants, Rory. In grade 11, fate would deal a plot point to our tubby friend.
0: <laughs>
1: Rory was now being taught by what he called a real mathematician and scientist and was also grouped in with some very other smart kids in an honours chemistry and math class.
0: Oh, people worthy of his time.
1: He started winning academic prizes and making friends of similar intellect. Now, Tara, when I say making friends, I mean he started to associate with other smarty-pantsers who tolerated him.
0: Okay, well, you know, close enough. That's that's what I do.
1: One of his friends was Andrew Mize. They were part of a trio that became finalists in the U.S. National Merit Scholarship Program.
0: Oh, hang on there a second. Um, Let me throw my panties.
1: <laughs> it's pretty sexy stuff, isn't Ooh. it? <laughs> Andrew Myers remembers Rory as being totally isolated in school and dismisses the notion that he somehow blossomed socially after the 11th grade. Myers recalled that at the time it was totally uncool to show you were smart. He and the other finalists managed to dumb themselves down and take on a one-of-the-boys facade, while Rory could not. He also remembered Rory doing strange and eccentric things, such as playing the violin outside the classroom.
0: Oh, if I hadn't already thrown my panties, I'd be doing it now.
1: In gym class, he was so uncoordinated and did not wear a jockstrap, so often his junk would be flopping around in full view of his classmates.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: In conformist 1958 America, and especially among the other kids, he was socially shunned. During any attempt at conversation, he would often answer in a non-related way that may have had deeper substance if anyone had attempted to relate. However, he was branded as weird and Myers was convinced that Roy's high school years were miserable. Myers said in 2016, With age, it is one of my deeper regrets that I did not make more of an effort to befriend him. However, I was so busy trying to fit in there was little room for compassion. Rory was brilliant, far ahead of myself. However, he was severely lacking in what might be called social intelligence. When I try and see the world with what I imagine would be through his eyes, it would be a strange and irrational place. This might provide some context for the way his life turned out.
0: Well, the world is a strange and irrational place, isn't it?
1: It really is. I mean, he was a teenager too, so he had his own shit to deal with. He wasn't in a
0: situation to save someone.
1: Yeah, I get it. But Rory had an ace up his sleeve, Tara. Oh, good. A plan so brilliant, so cunning, so diabolical, he could not possibly fail. Rory Thompson decided it was time to take up folk dancing. <laughs> Specifically, Lithuanian folk dancing Ooh. and the more popular and can I say sexy English Morris dancing. Hey, baby. <laughs> hey, baby. What an english Morris dance with me.
0: <laughs> it's jaunty. It's sexy and it's
1: jaunty. Now, before I tell you how this worked out for Rory, <laughs> let, let's play a game, Tara.
0: Oh, God, no. Okay? Okay.
1: Now, tell me whose quote these are. All right. Dancing, the vertical expression of a horizontal desire legalised by music.
0: So, mix a lot.
1: That was George Bernard Shaw. Ah,
0: So close.
1: I have a couple more for you. All right. Please send me your last pair of shoes, worn out with dancing as you mentioned in your letter, so that I might hold something to press against my heart.
0: Oh, well, that's definitely Jerry Brudos. <laughs>
1: it does sound like it, doesn't it? <laughs> no, that's Johann Wolfgang van Goof.
0: Oh!
1: One more for you. On my knees, I'll ask last chance for one last dance, because with you I'd withstand all the hell to hold your hand.
0: Oh, someone lame.
1: Yeah, it was Nickelback. Oh. <laughs>
0: Is it that dream band we put together that was a combination of Creed and Nickelback and we called it Creedleback?
1: Oh, Creedleback. Yeah, I think rock. it's a
0: Creedleback lyric.
1: <laughs> I wish they existed.
0: <laughs> they do in our minds.
1: Now, I don't know, Tara, if Rory paid heed to these geniuses, mm-hmm. but his cunning plan was indeed a success. Wow. Rory Jack was a natural. He lost weight and his ardent dancing was soon popular with the ladies.
0: Hey, baby.
1: Hey, baby. He met his first wife, Luella, through folk dancing and they were married when he was 17.
0: 17, eh? Woo, he'd been on the shelf a while, hadn't I he? Know. Oh, I bet they thought he was a confirmed bachelor by that point.
1: Oh, more of a spinster, I'd say. Oh. His science and math prizes brought work and scholarship offers from the Navy Electronics Laboratory. Let the good times roll. He was to work for them while attending San Diego State College. He graduated in three years rather than the usual four by more than doubling his workload in the final year. Wow. Good work ethic.
0: Yeah, very good.
1: Yes. But he soon tired of Luella and left her.
0: Well, I just hope that she stayed hydrated. <laughs> a bit of a cool work.
1: Don't drink the brown urine. Well, um, no, no. Even though it's full of water.
0: Don't ever do that.
1: It was about this time he picked up his doctoral studies at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He would eventually receive a PhD in fluid dynamics.
0: What is fluid dynamics?
1: Oh, you know, how water flows and stuff.
0: Wow, I think you might have a PhD the, in that too, by the sounds of it. It's the
1: dynamicness things. of fluids.
0: Right. Discharge, perhaps.
1: <laughs> oh, no. He studied
0: discharge. <laughs> oh, you went and there. And he studied it hard.
1: Oh, you went there, didn't you, girl?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I did go there, boy.
1: Three years after his divorce to Luella, his ex-wife somehow convinced Rory to have a child with her. Well, that'll fix everything. In his book, Mad Scientist, Rory described his relationship with women as passive and that he could be easily led. Whatever it was that made him agree, it wasn't long before man-child, cunt-struck, pussy-whipped <laughs> Rory Jack uh-huh. was the father to a new baby daughter, Nuella. Luella, Luella. Okay, so his
0: wife's called Luella and his daughter's called Nuella.
1: There's some kind of naming convention going on here. Are they going
0: to have another kid and call it Shuella?
1: Oh, Nutella.
0: Ah, probably. (laughs) Yum.
1: Yum. It was around 1969 when Rory came to Oregon State University with his shiny new PhD from MIT. He was there to teach fluid dynamics to their fledgling atmospheric science department. Well, we've all been there.
0: Oh, I know. Look, I really. That was actually the time of my life when I did that.
1: That was my fourth album.
0: Yeah, that's always the fourth, isn't
1: it? The students immediately thought he was weird.
0: Oh, still?
1: It was a time of free love and drugs, and even though campus was already full of eccentrics, Rory Jack Thompson stood out like a fucking sore thumb.
0: Oh, please tell me why.
1: He often showed up to lecture in a tuxedo.
0: Well, I mean, if it was after five and he's not a farmer, what else would he wear?
1: <laughs> exactly. He threw erases and chalk at anyone who asked a dumb question and had little patience for those of average intellect.
0: Ah, oh, see, from what you said before, I feel like maybe he thinks a lot of people have average intellect. Mm. So he probably ended up with great arm definition from constantly hurling shit at his students.
1: But things were about to go bad for Rory.
0: It sounds like it was already kind of bad.
1: While hitchhiking to work one day, he was mugged.
0: But he was mugged. Was he wearing a tuxedo and doing Lithuanian folk dancing at the time, perchance?
1: I believe it was uh, English Morris dancing. Ah,
0: well then this doesn't make any sense at all.
1: Rory was beaten up and received serious facial injuries with a brass knuckle. Some say his anger at the police's attitude and the PTSD he suffered played a major role in what was to happen later in life. After Oregon State University, he went to work at the world famous Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute in Massachusetts. World famous. Easy for you to say. <laughs> Luella pursued him there, berating him and still bossing him around, according to him.
0: Right.
1: Rory says in his book, this was the point he had had enough and decided it was now time to exercise his passivity in his nature. This change in attitude made the weird, crazy professor. Even fucking stranger.
0: Why did he go around telling people their dogs were fat?
1: That's all he did.
0: Okay. I don't like him.
1: Expect a visit soon. (laughs) During a seminar on the Isle of Man, he got so bored with a female speaker that he opened a window and jumped two and a half metres to the ground just to get away from her droning monotonous voice. (laughs)
0: Sounds like iTunes reviews I've read of, of female-hosted podcasts. I know
1: how he feels. <laughs>
0: oh, fuck you.
1: His new motto was that he never cared much what people thought.
0: So, hang on. His new motto, so moving forward, is that he's changed the past into him not caring.
1: Yeah, um, he's, the guy's not saying. Does he
0: have a time machine?
1: He does. Okay. He, he doesn't work. <laughs> he slept out under the stars in fields or parks whenever he felt like it. He danced English Morris style with the Hare Krishnas in the street. <laughs> in a tuxedo, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, probably.
1: He would berate litterers. Now, I have a, a friend that does that. My yeah? Fr- my friend Cherry. She, if she sees someone litter, she'll pick up their trash, mm-hmm. walk up to them and say, Oh, excuse me, I, I think you dropped this. <laughs> and by reaching out and handing it, handing it to them, they'd take it. And then they'd walk around. And they'd have this bewildered look on their face afterwards.
0: <laughs> That's brilliant. It
1: that is, isn't it? Anyway, back to uh, Rory Jack. Mm -hmm. He also made his daughter, Nuala, wear a helmet everywhere. Everywhere? Everywhere. Oh. Now, if you were thinking, Tara, he was on the spectrum, I would disagree. He is the spectrum. (sighs) His conversational style was so direct and so confrontational, most people couldn't stand to be near him. He seemed to have no empathy at all with other people.
0: Surprised I never went out with him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He does sound hot, doesn't he?
0: Well, you know. Sounds like my type.
1: Now, to get away from Luella, he ran off to San Diego, a place arrogant enough to call itself America's finest city. Perhaps this is what drew Rory there. (laughs) Probably. Now, what is next for Rory? It was now time for Rory Jack to arrange to meet someone new. He now believed his heart was ready for love again. And how would he find a new love, Tara? Uh,
0: Classified ads?
1: No, Tara. Folk dancing.
0: Oh, of course.
1: This is where he met teacher Maureen in 1974. After a brief but intense courtship, the Lovebirds soon decided to relocate to Australia. Rory had temporary work at Monash University at first, but soon came an offer of a tenured position at the University of New South Wales. When they landed in Australia, Rory and Maureen were already arguing over which job would be best. According to Bitch Tits Rory, he caved and Maureen convinced him to take an untenured job at the University of Western Australia.
0: Ah, oh, women. They just ruin your life, don't oh, they?
1: Nag, nag, oh. na- nag. for Christie, the. Oh, bad the advice. Secretary of Nagriculture. Maureen thought it would have a better climate. Have you ever spent a summer in Perth, Maureen?
0: <laughs> well, I believe she probably did after that.
1: It was at this time Rory and Maureen drew up a legal agreement which stated that if they ever separated, he would have custody of any children they might have.
0: Okay, so they drew up this agreement? Because it sounds like something that he yeah. would draw up.
1: And by the way, this thing about Maureen being a nag, it's all, this is Rory's view of it.
0: Oh, yeah, don't worry. I'm not buying it for a freaking second, mate.
1: No, Rory was spiralling. He began to fantasise about murdering Luella to get to daughter Newella. What? <laughs> to get his daughter, Nuella back. He later claimed this was his onset of insanity.
0: I feel like it could have started earlier.
1: Yeah, I think breaching the vaginal canal for him was his onset of an, uh, insanity.
0: Oh, I don't like that term. Don't ask me which one.
1: <laughs> insanity? Uh, breaching like, the vaginal canal? Don't you don't like, like
0: that? I don't like any of that. None of it.
1: But canals, like, lovely. They have them in Venice. <laughs> After leaving the University of Western Australia, that didn't work out, surprise surprise. Rory and Maureen went to Norway, and he began teaching at the University of Bergen. They were married in Bergen and their first child, Melody, was born there in 1976. After a visit to the US, Rory tried to snatch Nuella away from Luella, describing his ex-wife as a fat gray woman I didn't recognize.
0: Oh Jesus. His
1: got away with words hasn't yeah he?
0: what a what a generous man
1: he also fought with maureen and her family the wheels were starting to fall off in this relationship and rory seriously considered leaving maureen
0: oh please just do that instead dude. he
1: later said too bad i was not more assertive Ugh. if i had left maureen would still be alive i would be working melody would have grown up where she lives now but with her brother.
0: well yeah that does sound better
1: but he didn't, and Rory, Maureen and Melody returned to Australia together. Back down under, Rory landed a job he loved, with the CSIRO Division of Oceanography. Rory and Maureen began to have epic fights while trying to buy their first house. He felt that she had no grasp of the idea of budgeting, and he was constantly irritated by her spending habits.
0: Ah, oh, I bet he thought she was of a much lower intelligence
1: than he was. Well, he's he's got an answer for all of their problems. Yeah. A new baby would fix their busted marriage.
0: Actually, new babies fix everything.
1: Their son, Raffi, was born in 1980, but their relationship was still in a bad way. What? Rory felt that Maureen was behaving irrationally, and she felt the same about him.
0: I'm with Maureen on that one. In
1: 1982, he hit her during a fight, and counselling followed. there it is. In their whole marriage, he said, he recalled hitting her twice, but these are his words, not hers. Yeah,
0: also the whole I recall doing it twice doesn't mean that he did it twice, you know.
1: His weird behaviour continued. He held extreme far-right views and was convinced that laws only apply to the average person and not to him, as (sighs) he had a superior intellect. (sighs) During a union election at the CSIRO in Cronulla, Rory was responsible for anonymous postings all around the building that said, How can you elect a communist radical as your staff representative? This is what he thought of anything that was slightly left wing.
0: Right.
1: For years, he drove an unregistered car with a photocopy of a Victorian number plate. The copy was hard to detect as Victorian number plates can be white on black.
0: We should try this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure it'd work.
1: His next-door neighbour had a word with him about mowing his lawn too early and waking his kids. From then on, Rory would crank up the mower every morning at the crack of dawn and mow up and down along his neighbor's fence line outside the neighbor's kids' bedrooms.
0: Oh, red flag. What a prick. Yeah, seriously.
1: <laughs> Over a period of time, he killed five of the next-door neighbor's noisy roosters and got rid of the evidence by burying them which he later said caused him to fantasise about burying Maureen.
0: Really? They were gateway murder roosters?
1: Yeah. Murder cocks.
0: Right. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense.
1: The Thompson family arrived in Hobart in January 1983 and moved into a rented house at Newtown Road. For the first time in their lives, they now had enough money in the bank to pay cash for a house, and Rory was looking forward to settling down. But the epic fights continued, Arguing about money, careers and the children Once again, he drew up one of his notarized agreements that characterised Rory's relationship with women Under this agreement, he paid her $105 a week for babysitting
0: Babysitting? What, did she like, you know, just look after the kids, put them to bed, then watch TV, eat ice cream and talk to her boyfriend on the phone all night?
1: Yeah, while smoking a joint and blowing the smoke out the window. Oh,
0: yeah, out the window, then like spraying some like air freshener around the room. So this this is what she did, I guess. No, no, no. Oh, okay.
1: No, no. I think Maureen's getting wise to this um, bullshit, by the way. Good. While he was away at a conference in Perth, Maureen, fed up with his weird and abusive behaviour, moved out taking the children to a rather dark and small house, as he described, she had rented in Hill Street, West Hobart. Rory found out that although her demands for his money had dropped, she had taken legal steps to make sure he could not spend the money he had in the bank. He felt under attack now. He was accused of domestic violence.
0: Well, he admitted (gasps) to partaking in domestic violence earlier.
1: Hmm. Maureen's lawyer had also written to Melody's school, telling them not to let him visit her there.
0: He probably came over like every day and tried to make her wear a helmet.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 12 helmets.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, knee pads, face guard, everything.
1: Rory's visitation rights were under threat and there was an impending court battle for custody. Rory writes in his book that he often thought of making Maureen vanish. By now he was sleeping badly despite taking lots of sleeping tablets. His paranoia about what people were saying about him was becoming worse.
0: Hang on. Wasn't his life motto, I never cared what people thought about me?
1: Yeah, but that's what he wrote.
0: Uh, Ah, okay.
1: what happened.
0: No, it's definitely not what happened.
1: Yeah. From reading some of his book Mm. and reading what other people were saying about what was happening, I don't believe anything in his book.
0: Right, okay. One of those, huh?
1: After the split with Maureen, he tried to get his love life back by going to a Lithuanian folk dancing group.
0: Ah, well, worked before.
1: The third time was not a charm, and it didn't work, Tara. Oh,
0: okay, sure.
1: When he bought half a sheep to see if he could flush its pieces down the toilet, the end was in sight.
0: Which half? Like was it a front half or a back half? I don't know if that matters that much. I'm, Does it matter that much to I'm you? I am curious.
1: The final trigger, according to Rory, was a trivial argument after a trip to the movies with the children.
0: What did he take him to see, Scarface?
1: Yeah, that's about that time, yeah. Yeah, the
0: kids wouldn't stop quoting it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, so my little friend. <laughs> All right.
1: Tara, I think it seems more likely that the impending court case was what really caused him to act. Yeah. While in Sydney to give a talk, he bought a hacksaw and various other tools to dispose of a body. Mm. Upon returning to Hobart, he called Maureen and asked her to put off the court hearing, but she declined. On September 11th, 1983, he had the children stay at his house, and once they were asleep and locked in, he set off for Maureen's house. To conceal his identity, he dressed up like Tootsie. What? He dressed in a wig and a wraparound skirt.
0: Okay. No tuxedo that day. (laughs) No,
1: and he was carrying a bag of tools and a rather large stick.
0: A stick? Like, I've heard of people using a stick, but only because, like, there's nothing else around. I've never heard of someone just bringing a stick.
1: I know, bring a kitchen knife, God.
0: I don't know, a stick?
1: He He waited in her garden until she had gone to sleep and then went in to kill her. Sensing danger, she woke up. There was a brief struggle in the course of which he hit her with the stick and then he strangled her. He later said that she lost consciousness within five seconds of waking up. I don't think it happened like that, but we'll never know because he killed her. He then chopped her body up into 91 pieces. He later felt that flushing her body parts down the toilet was symbolic, but surely a person with a PhD in fluid dynamics should have known that it wasn't going to work.
0: Yeah, also it's only symbolic of the fact that he's an asshole.
1: Having spent all night at this gruesome task, he took the parts he couldn't flush into the bush above Pottery Road lana valley and buried them after taking his children swimming the next day he went to work on monday and finished a paper his 50th scientific publication he then rang police and reported maureen missing when a finger turned up at the sewage works the police began to close in on him even at this stage they appeared to view him as unstable saying in an interview things like perhaps the bad rory did it
0: Oh, I love watching interview footage and seeing how the detectives like sometimes have to play sort of like that in order to get someone to open up.
1: Yeah. He eventually confessed to the crime, and at his trial, he started off defending himself. While he was in remand, Maureen's sister Kathleen and her husband Terry arrived from the USA to take the children.
0: Oh, I'm glad they have some people to be with because, yeah. you know...
1: Well, they're orphans now, aren't they? Yeah,
0: pretty much. Oh, man, he's messed them up.
1: At his trial, Rory was to find out the truth of the old adage, a man who defends himself has a fool for a client. Yeah. As he had met and been impressed by Pierre Slicer, the duty lawyer at the time, and one whom he considered not as slimy as the others, he asked him to take over the defence. Pierre Slicer, now a judge, said of meeting Rory Jack, I had to get to know him and he had to get to know me. We connected over my knowledge of US politics and we ended up having this deep meeting of minds.
0: I'll oh, get a room.
1: He believed I was someone who could do the job. He recalled Rory struggling to comprehend the rules surrounding his horrific crime. He couldn't understand why everyone was so upset about him dissecting the body. After all, he thought, she couldn't feel any pain because she was already dead. He just couldn't understand... His academic intelligence was extreme, but he was emotionally deficient. The jury saw him for what he was, an antisocial, dangerous person who considered himself part of an elite class of people far above ordinary folk. He was found guilty, but the verdict of the jury was that he committed the act as charged, but was not guilty by reason of insanity. He was ordered to be detained in a special institution, the hospital attached to Risdon Prison.
0: Ah, where Chop Chop spent some time. He did, he did.
1: While in prison, he was very upset by the attitude of the media towards him. He believed that he was being portrayed as a psychopath. What? He didn't deny what he had done, but he resented the additional baggage being loaded on him. In 1990, after he had been in prison for six years, the Mental Health Review Tribunal recommended his release on the grounds that he was no longer insane. Five months later, State Cabinet rejected this decision. Well, there was a bit of a media circus about it. Yeah. yeah I remember this.
0: I'm not sure that they would just go away.
1: Several psychiatric appraisals early in Rory's time in prison showed that although he had a significant personality disorder, a doy, he was not mentally ill. Rory Thompson, or Jack Newman, he changed his name by Depot in 1994, mm-hmm. was recommended for release several times, but it was always refused. He was very butthurt about this and sought solace by planting a garden of flowers and vegetables at the prison.
0: That's a really cool way to seek solace.
1: He was eventually allowed to work unsupervised on his garden outside the prison gates.
0: I'm sure that that, that just doesn't go anywhere bad. No. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> While in pri- the end. While in prison, Rory Jack used to play several games of chess against several inmates simultaneously just to prove that he was still a fucking smart ass. But Rory was depressed by the outlook of the state government regarding his release, and the greater media focus then transferred to Martin Bryant, who was in the same wing.
0: Ah, the Port Arthur Massacre guy, Mm. for those of you not in the know.
1: He was now desperate for attention, which some people believed is why he did the next stupid thing. Ah. On July 5th, 1999, in what he described as foolish...
0: (laughs) If even he thinks it's
1: foolish. Rory was gardening solo outside the prison about 8am when he flagged down a metro bus and travelled to central Hobart. There he withdrew $490 from an ATM, caught a taxi to Hobart Airport and boarded a plane. Now, to board this flight, uh, Rory, now 57, had to go past security at Hobart Airport dressed in full khaki prison garb and a black beanie.
0: Wow. I was the 90s. Everyone was wearing it. Oh, yeah. Black <laughs> beanies,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. All the Yeah,
0: prison garb. It's the only thing I wore in the 90s.
1: Now, Tara, he would have made it except one of the plane passengers recognised him.
0: Which he's into, kind of.
1: Yeah. Oh. <laughs>
0: oh, it's complicated.
1: Do you want to get a photo? <laughs> Now it is still a mystery as to how Rory Jack, a minimum security prisoner since 1993, had access to an ATM card with sufficient (laughs) funds for an airline ticket. Mm. He was arrested on the plane, returned to the prison and, you know, no more guarding privileges for him. Now finally, after writing a will and transferring money to various members of his family, he hanged himself with a shoelace in his cell on September 18th, 1999.
0: Must have been a pretty strong shoelace.
1: In one of the final pages in his autobiography, Mad Scientist, he wrote, I'm glad to have been alive, though sorry Maureen is not. Now, his biography came out uh, a month after he died, actually.
0: I would think that he would want to stick around to see it published, knowing no. him.
1: Well, obviously he was depressed.
0: Well, yeah. He wasn't allowed to garden anymore.
1: yeah. Now, there is a lot of noise in this story, Tara. Yeah. But I think when you break it down, it's just another tale of extreme domestic violence.
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: I believe Rory Jack Thompson was a controlling sociopath. This professor of fluid dynamics was just another cowardly man who horrifically murdered his ex. And I'm getting sick of these stories.
0: Yeah, but they don't stop happening. No, they
1: really don't, do they? No. Hmm.
0: There's way too many of them around.
1: There was a lot in the in the Tasmanian press about domestic violence. This sparked a lot of stories about it re- way back in 1983. Okay. Uh, I'd like to say we've come a long way since then, but I don't yeah. know. Well, we've got a long way to go.
0: We really do have a long way to go, and mm. we all have to be aware of it if we're ever going to get anywhere.
1: Hmm. I think we need a pellet cleanser.
0: Yeah, maybe some sorbet.
1: Uh, I was thinking about an aussie Az, but I don't know what that is. Can you tell me what that is?
0: (laughs) Oh, my God, still. aussie Az: are tales of criminal stupidity with a quintessentially Australian flavour. You want to hear one? Hey, hey, you want to hear one? You want to? Want to? Hey, yeah, yeah. Want to
1: hear one? I'm a fat dog. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do. Woof.
0: (laughs) A woman fat shamed my dog earlier in the week. That's why we keep referencing that.
1: Your dog's not even fat.
0: My dog isn't fat, but she, uh, she was very confused uh, and thought it was a breed that's meant to be tall and skinny as well, opposed to short and well, stocky. Well, your
1: dog's obviously overweight. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you're a terrible dog, Mum, and you, you're, you're killing your, yes. your fatty, fat, fat dog with all the KFC no. and cake.
1: I, think, I believe you're feeding your dog too much.
0: Yeah. Anyway, fuck her.
1: Yeah, oh, yes, give it to me.
0: Cairns in far north Queensland is lucky enough to have its very own Deadpool. You know, the comic book character made famous through the Ryan
1: Reynolds blockbusters? I've, I've heard of him, yes.
0: Yeah, or, or at least it has a guy who likes dressing up as him. So the Deadpool of Cairns has encountered violent thieves and mistaken identity while managing to arouse those he encounters while wandering around the city in a costume complete with fake weapons. Ooh. He said, oh, I've been getting a lot of flirtation from the female side and some males. I can't lie. I've been getting a lot of attention from all genders. The cosplayer has become a little bit of a celebrity since he started blessing the city with his crotch-hugging outfit. He's got a bit of an ego on him too, but I guess that comes with the superhero territory, right? It does. He He said, oh... I took a break from it one time and everyone was just asking, Where's Deadpool? What happened to this guy? What happened to this tourist attraction? But not everyone responds positively to his presence. He said of people's reactions, Or half was good reactions saying, oh, yeah, Spider Man's here or Deadpool's here. That's pretty cool.
1: Don't think he's Spider Man (laughs) because he's got a red suit on. That's nice.
0: And he thinks it's. He he takes it as a compliment. Then there were like not so friendly reactions of, oh, no, he's got guns. He's got swords. He's going to destroy the town. (laughs) He totally has tickets on himself. He said. Oh, it got to a point where the cops just kept hassling me to go home. Just because of the guns and saws and everything. It just got really annoying. So as prevention for that, I upgraded to get a busking license. Since then, I've been getting less harassment from the police, but they kept threatening and doing insults about what they'll do to me. I pretty much looked at them calmly and said, Look... I've got the power of calling the police, or I could do it myself. What? It's not like I'm a big-time vigilante person. I try to talk it out reasonably, just sort of like my calm nature. But then again, I do brew up a storm if I get provoked. For vigilante work, I only do it when I come across it, pretty much. (laughs) But everything changed for our little red-faced friend when the police received reports that someone was running around the Smithfield Shopping Centre dressed as Deadpool and brandishing handguns. Senior Constable Rennie said, uh, On two occasions, he slid down the cinema external staircase banister with both imitation handguns drawn. Members of the public were scared, believing that the imitation weapons were real. I mean, you would in this day and age think they were fucking wrong, Well, yeah. And multiple police crews were sent in with flak jackets on to look for him. He told police that um, <laughs> he'd just lost his mobile phone and was running around looking for it, but doing some capering at the same
1: time. Uh, guns drawn.
0: Oh, yeah. Senior Constable Rennie said... He understood how people could easily mistake the guns as real. He said he didn't intentionally point the gun at anyone to cause fear. Although he was anonymous up to this point, during court proceedings, the Cairns Deadpool was unmasked and revealed to be 17-year-old Jake Connor Bingham, probably nicknamed Bingo.
1: B-I-N-G-O is his name, oh.
0: Uh huh. He pleaded guilty to being a public nuisance. Bingo had just turned 17, only six weeks before this incident, and had no criminal history. He was placed on a $500, nine month good behavior bond, and no conviction was recorded. Bingo said outside court that he bought the costume to partake in a spot of cosplay, but then decided he'd walk around cans. He said, Aww. This one evening, I got so many good reactions. I thought, why not make it something? See if I can make a difference in cans. maybe. This is the end of part one of this story. Stay tuned for part two next week when I tell you whether or not Bingo did indeed make a difference in cans.
1: Oh, man, you're leaving us on a cliffhanger. I am. Wow. There
0: are developments. It would yeah. have been... Too long. So you guys are just going to have to wait till next week to see what bingo the Deadpool of Cairns got up to.
1: Uh, I don't know if I can wait a week.
0: Well, you're going to have to, or you could just uh, Google it yourself, couldn't you?
1: No, I'm not going to do
0: that. I know. Too lazy, huh? Damn straight. Now, before we go, we'd like to take a moment to thank some lovely people who took some time out to
1: write us some reviews. We've got Terp Life. Unscripted. Daniel's 338 wm Jessica Kathleen. Lindy Beaumont.
0: Hey, Lindy. Paul Sutherland. He hosts a great podcast called True Crime Enthusiast. Oh, so yeah, check, I know that one. Yeah, yeah like got, yeah, listeners, yeah. if you Ooh. haven't checked it out, do so.
1: Jessalyn Ray Wofford.
0: Tyne Foster. Hey.
1: And Alberto Sandoval.
0: Thank you so much, everyone. It was a good week for reviews, wasn't it?
1: It was. Hey, Tara. Yeah? Uh, Did you notice anything different about me?
0: Mmm still a cunt.
1: No. No? I've shaved my beard off. Eh. Really? Nothing? mm mm-hmm. no, I guess this is my default face, just a moustache. Yeah? Look, it doesn't matter. I'm fine with you not noticing. I'm not, like, I'm not even butthurt about <laughs> it. All right. <laughs> Would
0: you like some ice for that?
1: <laughs> for my, my sore bottom.
0: Yeah, your bottom sounds well, incredibly annoying. You know,
1: look, you get a haircut and you want people to notice. Okay, uh, I, oh the I most
0: did. recent haircut I had, it took you like three weeks to notice. Look, so why are you so fucking butthurt?
1: Hey, I, I did some precious manscaping and no one My kids didn't notice. My girlfriend didn't notice.
0: Right. Maybe we just don't even look at your fucking face. <laughs> you know, we're too busy looking at your boobs. My eyes and beard
1: are up here, Yeah, my beard's up here, Tara (laughs) So thanks for listening and thanks to our patrons If you'd like to support us, visit our website Or if you just want to buy us a drink There's a PayPal donate button there too Hey, I've been Barney Black.
0: And I've been Tara Saraban. And
1: we just did some bloody murder.
0: Please don't forget to review us on iTunes or our Facebook page. Also, um, if you have a second and you haven't already done it, could you please give our Facebook page a like? Because, uh, oh. you know, it makes us look more, like, special and important and cool than we actually are, and we like that.
1: And, of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us.
0: Join our Facebook group, Bloody Murder Podcast, if you're ready to be that awesome.
1: And follow us on Twitter and Snapchat and Insta. Check out our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com for news galleries, more episodes and and merchandise including shoes and scents.
0: I know. We're in it for the shoes and perfume. Oh, you make a podcast. What is is it about? Oh, it doesn't really matter. We're in it for the shoes and perfume. Oh, damn straight. Uh Uh-huh. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.
1: Goodbye and adios.
0: And keep kicking against the pricks.
1: Hey, I was picking up Mo from school. And I yeah, bet, that's your teenager. Yeah, and he and he was coming out late. And I said, why are you so late? And he said, oh, I had to put the chickens to bed. And <laughs> really? He's, and he's got chickens. They've got, like, chickens they in have have school. They have a dog,
0: too. When we went to the concert last week, the dog was, like, following yeah, me around. Yeah, Sydney.
1: Sydney's a cool made dog. made me so happy. Yeah, yeah. I've got Sydney. Yeah. Anyway, he's putting the chickens to bed. And I said, how do you put the chickens to bed? And he just looked at me sideways <laughs> and said, well, I put them in their little beds. I put their heads on their pillows, And then I sing them a little lullaby. Mm-hmm. I said, what do you sing to him? He <laughs> that kid's funny. They had they had the
0: intercom on in the room and they kept lying that it wasn't on
1: and they were using sonic
0: Pressure on my head since 1997. I love Mo. He's a fucking genius. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the apple fell so far from the tree in this case. I don't even know if I am a tree. <laughs> <I don't> even- <laughs> yeah, we might need some DNA testing based on his brilliance alone. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm the cunt. Really? You gotta go, really? Now?
1: Really? Now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what will you be talking about this week, Barney?
1: I don't know <laughs>
0: the, gl- the glory of spring Well I'm going to begin
1: uh, a discussion about the glory of spring <laughs>
0: <laughs> Last week Barney was really happy that he planted some jasmine and it flowered and Then he sniffed it <laughs> Mentioned the glory of spring and promptly snorted It's when you fart and sneeze at the same
1: time <laughs> That's the glory of spring, it's- here it is <laughs> It was some pretty classy stuff.
0: (laughs) It made me happy. Um, But yes, obviously, that won't go at the beginning if you use it. That's a blooper, all right? (laughs) All right, machine. Oh,
1: no, I've got. Ah, my fucking face hurts. In his autobiography.
0: (laughs) What? His what? Or organic binography. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it, snot face. Oh, no, you got to stop saying it.
1: I can't stop laughing. <laughs> Patrons have access to over 20 other episodes. Early access to sauce- the sausages? Yum. Early access to sausages. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All the dick pics yes. they can request from me. I'll
1: be shooting those sausages with my sausage cannon <clears> over <throat> the big ocean and into your mouths. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> sausage cannon, is that sausage what you're calling cannon. it now? It's
1: my sausage cannon. <laughs> <laughs> In
0: 1978, AB and the singing Shermer family moved to Lebanon? Lebanon? You better get rid of that pause when you edit, right? Or do you want me to do it again?
1: Lebanon? (laughs) Lebanon?
0: Was it Lebanon? Okay, I'm going to try this again.
1: Lebanon!
0: (laughs) Lebanon! (laughs) Lebanon! (laughs) (laughs) Will you stop rabbing it on about Lebanon, you can't. <laughs> Lebanon. <laughs> okay. I think my barney's broken and I need a new one. Lebanon. Oh, you should see. You should see. Lebanon. Oh, no. <coughs> oh, good. He's given himself a stroke. surgery, right? Fuck face. Okay, I'm doing it again so All you right, can I'm jump ready. in. I'm <laughs> ready. I won't
1: fuck it up this time. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, we'll see. 30% chance
0: and ruled that her manner of death was undetermined because her injuries seemed too severe to have been caused by a fly... By
1: a fat dog.
0: <laughs> by owning a fat dog. She tripped over a fat dog and <laughs> fell down the stairs. And then the dog sat on her and she died.
1: Right. It happens. It could happen to me. It's more common than you think, Tara.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a, an accident waiting to happen. Well,
1: you live in a single-story house, but it could But still boy, happen. is my dog fat. But boy, is your dog fat. <laughs>
0: Ah, oh, thank you so much to the lady who said that. <clears throat> There's like a noise every so often from the computer. like It, goes, mm. it doesn't come through. Okay.
1: It's just a hard drive. Fire <clears throat> I could shut it down if it bothers you. Ah,
0: oh, whatever. It doesn't bother me as much as you do. <laughs> well, well, let me go.
1: <laughs> let me go, I say.
0: <laughs> it seemed once more God Boy AB was golden.
1: Mm.
0: Unlike your urine,
1: which is brown. A, B, That's t- not true. <laughs> I deny this.
0: It's not true. Why Kate? would you even
1: know what colour my urine was?
0: I have ways. I have ways.
1: Have You've been watching me
0: more than I want to. <laughs> <laughs> but it gets better, by the way. My urine? No, oh. no, definitely not. Drink some water every now and then. for water and beer. Oh, that's uh, Seriously, this is what I'm up against, people.
1: Saying Rory's father, that was not where you start. What? I'll start, I'll start, I started on the third paragraph.
0: <laughs> you were just doing some <laughs> editing.
1: Oh, I really was. All right, you can do this, Barney.
0: Yeah, you got this. <clears throat> This is yours, my little snotty friend. All right,
1: it's Bonnie's time to shine. <laughs>
0: hey, Bonnie. Hey, bunny,
1: it's your time to
0: shine. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh,
1: time for your anus to shine I in love, the sun. I
0: love reading by
1: the light of your ass. Uh, did, oh, sorry, did I blind you with the glint of my anus?
0: Oh, he blinded me with science. <clears throat>
1: Roy was now being taught by what he called a real mathemat- a mathem- mathematician. <laughs> 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 oh, up your ass with broken glass!
0: <laughs> why would you even say that?
1: Because I really wanted broken glass up oh, your ass. Like, That's just, why.
0: I don't like you at all anymore. I need a better friend. Any more. I wonder if Canberra or Baz are free to do a podcast with me. Or any
1: less. I think it's about the same.
0: Yeah, actually. It's not really surprising.
1: It's
0: kind of standard, really. It's kind of mundane at this point.
1: I know we podcast together in spite of each other. (laughs) If you can think of a better reason for doing it, I'd sure like to hear it. Well, yes.
0: Come on, my snarty friend. You've got
1: this. (laughs) Rory was beaten up and received serious facial injuries with a brass knuckle. Jeez. Some say his anger at the police's attitude and, and ineptitude at, at getting the assailants um, caused all his PTSD and suffered a major... And Yeah, no, nah, fuck that, didn't I? Mm,
0: that's all right. You can unfuck it. <laughs> unfuck it hard.
1: Some say he's... <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just get right up in there and unfuck it.
1: Get, get right up there. <laughs> you're going, going to get right up there and unfuck that sentence.
0: Yeah. That's what you gotta do. You gotta get back up, brush yourself off, unfuck the sentence, do it hard. Get right up there and unfuck that sentence. Do it, baby. Do it, baby. Do it, baby. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, how we digress.
1: After OSU, he went to work at the world famous Woods Hole Oceanographic (laughs) Institute. After Oregon State University, he went to work at the world famous Woods Hole Ocean Oceanographic Oce,
0: <laughs> Billy Oceanio At uh, The of Woods Hole
1: dreams. Billy O Oceanio <laughs> Institute for them in Massachusetts. Get out of my dreams. Let me hitch you in your yeah. car. Get in the backseat, baby. Let me analyze your fluid dynamics. <laughs> 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 after oregon state you <laughs>
0: i'm sorry I've, got, I've crossed over okay sorry dude even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks italian leather jackets and so much more